It's Sex and Sarah Rose. I'm Sarah Rose, and really quick before we get into this episode, I know you may have found my podcast because you were looking for some interesting information about sex to listen to, but what you may not know is that I actually work with a lot of men to help them tap into their inner badass, have the sexual confidence that they've always desired to have, and to know once and for all that she isn't faking it. I have two distinct programs to help men. The first is for men who are ready to take the first step towards igniting their powerful sexual energy and getting better in bed. It's called Sex Stallion Training and it's an online program for you to do on your own time in the privacy of your home without a partner. This is for men that are single, in a relationship, or dating people. The second is called Man on Fire, which is the only sex university just for men. This six month program is designed to help you become the ultimate sexual master. For six whole months, you train with me in live online sessions, and I will train you to be the best lover that she has ever had. So if you want the sex secrets that every woman wish you knew, and you wish that every woman had told you, this is where they are finally revealed. Check out more info at tantricactivation.com or just check out the show notes in the podcast app you're listening to this from now, and there will be links there for you. Thanks and enjoy the show. It's Sex and Sarah Rose, and today we are talking about kinky love with kink expert Kimmy Inch, aka Mistress Nina Payne. She's been involved in the BDSM lifestyle as a professional dominatrix since 2002. In 2006, she was hired by New York's Top Dungeons to develop training programs for their new employees. This eventually led her to start her educational company in 2008 called Dami Dolls. Through Dami Dolls, she was able to bring her kink knowledge to the mainstream by holding public workshops as a way to teach and empower curious individuals and couples on how to enhance their sex lives through kink and fantasy exploration. Alongside her classes, Kimmy is trained at the Institute of Core Energetics and holds somatic therapy sessions, which are focused around intimacy, relationship help, and sexual healing. Kimmy Inch has lectured at Princeton University and has been featured in several media outlets, such as the Wall Street Journal, Cosmo Magazine, and the New York Post. She has also made numerous television appearances having been featured on ABC's 2020, ABC's Nightline, and the OWN Network's Our America with Lisa Ling. Amazing to have you. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, it's such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, definitely. This is going to be an amazing uh, conversation to have. We have so much in common that we're wanting to share and create in the world. And I love it when the worlds of kink or BDSM and Tantra collide and there's so much magic that can be made there. And the, the somatic training that you have and work with your clients on is in such alignment with the somatic work that I do as well. So this is really, really great. Uh, I know everyone is going to want to know, how in the world did you become a world-class dominatrix? Uh, Yeah, that's a fun story. Um, 
You know, I moved to Tokyo at early in my life, right after I went to school. So I was around 22, 23 years old. And I used to be a DJ and I was originally DJing in Tokyo. And as a very tall, blonde, uh, gaijin uh, woman, uh, a gentleman who promoted these sort of fetish parties approached me and asked me if I would be interested in DJing at these types of parties. And at that point, I hadn't really much knowledge around what kink was. I watched this movie Pulp Fiction one time and they said, bring out the gimp. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, it was super strange and intimidating. I thought maybe that's what kink was. So I reluctantly accepted the invitation because the price was right. Uh, they were willing to pay a lot of money for me to DJ at these parties. And I show up and wow, what a freaking spectacle. It was incredible to see people dressed up in these incredible outfits. Everyone was super welcoming and, and lovely and accepting and respectful. And I found it all to be so fascinating. And through DJing at these fetish parties around Tokyo, I met people in the lifestyle and met professional dominatrixes living and working in Tokyo uh, from all over the world. And I became friends with them. I was fascinated with the work that they did. They asked me if I'd be interested in just sitting in a corner and witnessing their session in progress because a lot of gentlemen like an audience. And uh, I would just sit in and watch these sessions in the corner and just awestruck by it. You know, I thought it was super powerful um, and creative and just the way these women held themselves. I was super intrigued. Also, being in my early 20s, I was also um, excited about this idea around being treated like a queen and getting paid to be worshipped. Um, and I didn't have to engage in any nudity. I didn't have to have sex with the clients. And all of that seemed really exciting to me um, on a surface level. But the more I did it, the more I saw the sort of sacredness around the work and became really, really passionate about it. So I went from Japan to Australia to around Europe and just learned as much as I could and played with as many people as I could and just uh, deepened my understanding and passion for, for kink and BDSM. Um, and, and that's basically the story about how I got into it all. I love it. So yeah. hot. <laughs> yeah. It was fun, man. My 20s were pretty wild. And, you know, I have to say I was in the closet for a really long time. My family didn't know. My boyfriends at the time didn't even know. They just thought I was DJing. Um, wow. So I kept it a secret for a really, really long time because uh, I, I don't feel like I was really ready to accept that, oh, God, I love this job. This is so much fun. Um, and then finally, when I started getting a little older, I was like, I'm not doing anything wrong here. I'm not, you know, um, running over my morals or, or doing anything illegal or, you know, I, I'm happy with what I'm doing. So when I started coming out to people and telling them what I did, there's this sort of like, oh, like, what? What does it mean? And then it's like, let me tell you all my fantasies. You know, that's usually the, the two reactions I got. So I actually felt really welcomed for the most part uh, when I started telling people about my work and what I was doing. So that sort of furthered fanning the fire and wanting to bring it more to the public as a way to show people that this can be really empowering, uh, sacred work. Um, so I started teaching and, and uh, from there, uh, yeah, I started learning more around how to help people embrace their own sort of kinks and desires in a healthy, safe way. So it's been several years now since Fifty Shades of Grey came uh, out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Are you still getting people that come to you and that is their only association with any type of BDSM? And do they really think that that is what BDSM is or have people become more educated around it since? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, a lot of people who have found uh, Fifty Shades of Grey usually already have a little inclination around the curiosity of why do I have these fantasies of a man overpowering me or wanting to serve a woman? You know, a lot of these people maybe already had a little sort of feeling around that. So Fifty Shades of Grey sort of opened the gate a little bit to wanting to have a better understanding of what it is. Unfortunately, not everyone educates themselves fully. So I'm happy to be the one that said, glad this book got you through the door, but now we're going to tell you the truth, honey. Like, sit down and let me tell you what's up. And, um, you know, if that's what Fifty Shades of Grey has created on some level was the permission to explore, that's great. Um, but hopefully people will take their education past the fictional, uh, a fictional book and, and have a real understanding of what kink is because Fifty Shades of Grey isn't a great representation of what real kink is, right? So, yeah. I am grateful for Fifty Shades of Grey on one level. Um, right. But at the same time, you know, it does promote sort of these stereotypes that aren't usually really accurate in the, the kink lifestyle. Consent and intimacy and all of these sort of things are, are sort of lost in that book and movie. So we have to kind of set people straight. So can you talk about how kink differs from BDSM? Yeah, so kink is just a really wide umbrella. It specifically, the definition is the unconventional and sexual practices. And of course, what's considered unconventional is different for every person. But if you think of the kink as this wide umbrella, that could include BDSM, which is more specific sort of kinky activities that include bondage and domination and power exchange and that sort of thing. But kink could be unconventional in the sense that for some people that could be dirty talk that could be dressing up as a french maid when your husband comes home sometime you know it could be these things that aren't necessarily you know vanilla sex which if we're going to go on one spectrum vanilla sex is could be like two people who are married in their bed with the lights off in the missionary position yawn you know that sort of thing and on the other side of the spectrum kinky could be like group sex with whips and chains and midgets and all sorts of crazy shit but in the middle is like that happy medium and and kink can fall under all of those sort of things um so what i like about kink is that most of us are already a little bit kinky and i think that just means that we're a little adventurous we're interested in seeing what else is beyond uh the surface and kink is a great tool to enhance your pleasure and intensify your sexual experience it could be used for a lot of different things depending on the person so for me as a woman that likes options kink is a great option to sort of you know have in my tool belt for having an encounter with somebody whether it's sexual or not um, that can you know bring a lot of pleasure and an expansion so i'm all for it so why do you think people are still so afraid of kink then unfortunately the media doesn't tend to like project a lot of positivity around kink and BDSM. It sort of, uh, you know, focuses in on the scandalous sort of sensationalized uh, stories that come to surface. I think a lot of people don't understand because there's a common misconception that there's abuse there. There's violence in some sense. If you're spanking someone, that means you're striking them. So you're, you're hurting them. And what people don't seem to get is that Kink is so much more than that because there's so much preparation and communication that has to go into uh, 
that relationship before you even begin playing. And, you know, that's not very common in, in a sexual relationship. So the fact that kink requires communication, exploration, negotiation, you got to have your safe words, you got to understand someone's limits and their boundaries. That's what kink, real healthy, true kink is. And um, if people can have a better understanding of that message, they could see that, wow, kink can be so many things. Um, and it's not as scary and as intimidating as some might think. It doesn't have to be hoods and leather and chains. It doesn't have to be that at all. It could be feminine and light and pretty. It can be what you want. What are your fantasies? What's your imagination? Where does it take you? Um, it's really up to you on what feels right and safe and comfortable for you. So I, I think kink is great because of the creativity that it holds. Um, it's not just genital rubbing against genital. It's like, how do we, how do we create this fantasy world? I mean, Right. When you were a little kid, did you ever play make-believe and pretend? Right, and all of course. Yeah. That's why kink is called play. We get to play and we get to learn the steps because I'm going to tell you what I'm into. You tell me what you're into. This is okay. This is not okay. We'll learn the steps and then let's have a tango uh, once we, we figure that out. And I think that's so much fun, that dance, you know? One of the things that you mentioned, though, comes up all the time is the communication aspect of it you you mean tantra i guess would fall under the 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 umbrella of kink it's something unusual is that not common like so tantra definitely would be kink uh if you're using that that type of framework and such a big part of tantra is the communication aspect of it because that is where you build your intimacy with the person that you're with. And so what I love about uh, particularly like the BDSM part of it is the polarity that can exist there. And when I'm working with guys, even in Tantra, I like to introduce that idea, that part of um, BDSM, because polarity is so important in the bedroom. While we want equality in the workplace and you know everywhere else, in the bedroom, we have to have polarity in order to keep track attraction alive. And mm. so often that is missed. So can you talk about that aspect of it, how, how bringing this in can really increase attraction as well? Absolutely. I love that you're bringing up the polarity. And I, you remind me of a, a great quote from a therapist named Esther Perel, who I think is fantastic, right? And she talks about how love is the familiarity, but the desire is in the space, you know? And I think about polarity of this like healthy tension, a little bit of that space and push and pull that creates that the, the space for attraction. And, and there's a little bit of mystery there. It's not the familiar, it's not um, up close and personal. It's a little uh, mysterious, the little mystique there. And the polarity is super, super important because if you're looking at something like a a power dynamic, it doesn't necessarily mean someone has to be the dominant and someone has to be the submissive. It might just be one is guiding the experience. Maybe they're the top, maybe they're more of the giving side. And then the receiver or the bottom is, you know, uh, sort of being led and through the journey. Um, having that separation creates the opportunity for the polarity. You know what I mean? I, I feel like it's one of those things that builds the anticipation, the tension, the like, I don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, there might be a clear understanding of boundaries, but the creativity comes from like, okay, if we know the steps, how do I arrange it in a way 
for that my partner is going to get excited and enticed. Um, and kink is cool for that building of the anticipation. And, and it's not just about like, let's get in there and climax. I mean, kink is not sex. People think it's sex. But kink is, again, a tool that can intensify the sexual experience. But I'll tell you firsthand that as a woman who's a professional dominatrix, in my personal life, I like to play the switch. I don't like day in and day out always being in the dominant role. And if I'm in the mood or with the right partner, I'm excited to let go of the reins and have them be in charge for a little bit. That's exciting for me. That creates polarity in my life that it's not just the mundane and in day in and day out. It's, it's a variety. And, and I like to say, I mean, it's a little funny, but I like to say, you know, if variety is the spice of life, then kink, think of kink as the spice of sex, because you're always going to have the variety and polarity is a great example to create that, you know? And one of the main reasons people stop having sex is because they're bored. Because <laughs> it's too familiar and it's too, yeah, it gets repetitive and you know what's going to happen next and all of these things. And it's so true. I've had so many women say to me, you know, ask them, why are you not having sex? I'm bored. I don't want to be in that same position over and over again. I want something different. I want something new. I've already done that. We've done that same thing for four years now. And a lot of men, you know, it goes both ways. A lot of men, the same thing. Like, I just want, I want to try something different. I want to try anal or I want to try uh, some sort of BDSM or I want to try just different things and she won't try it. So how do we get people to explore and expand and go beyond? Because I think ultimately we really all have a desire for something new, something exciting. Like that's part of human, our curiosity. And we get so shut down from just years of conditioning and trauma and things like that. So mm -hmm. Yeah. Aside from doing that work, which is really important, that's really the work that I do with people is helping them um, to heal that stuff so they can begin to explore and have amazing sex. Um, do you have any other suggestions for people that, you know, there's resistance from, from one partner, you know, of like one partner wants to start exploring and doing things different and the other one doesn't? Yeah, and that's so common that I hear in my work, both as a professional dom, as an educator, as a therapist is, you know, um, how do I get my partner to get be more kinky, be more adventurous, this sort of thing. And it's so important to be able to communicate your needs, but to also have some compassion for your partner. And what is the resistance there? Like, what is the, the underlying story? Did they have some maybe traumas or, or hesitations around sex for good reason that need to be looked at, you know? And, and I think that for couples embarking on this adventure around expanding their sexual repertoire, shall we say, um, being able to keep the communication alive and going slowly. Like a lot of men, maybe they want their girlfriends to be a little bit more dominant with them. They're, they feel like they're always the dominant one. They want their girlfriends to be more dominant. You know, being able to negotiate as far as like what that looks like, you know, you're not going to ask your partner to go from a one to a, a hundred, like right out the gate. But what are some compromises that could feel good as a, a starter? And maybe they could dip their pinky toe in and, and see how that goes, because people get freaked out by the unknown. Right. So if you get them to ease into the shallow end of the kinky pool slowly, but surely maybe they'll say, oh, this isn't so scary. This in my mind, it, I really blew it up to this big thing that it was going to be really freaky. 
And this little ease in is like, oh, you know what? I'm okay with this. And maybe their partner never will be truly dominant. Maybe they'll never truly embrace that role. But if their partner gets off on seeing their partner excited and getting their partner off, that indirect pleasure could be enough motivation for them wanting to do a little bit more experimentation. So I think everyone has to temper their expectations, you know, whether it's the man or the woman wanting more. It's like, where can we begin that would be a good start for both parties to just maybe like feel into it a little bit and then build on that and see how it goes. Um, and to also not expect your partner to ever really maybe fulfill every single thing on your checklist, but is there a way to compromise instead of doing the act, we could talk about the act, you know, can, is there other ways of maneuvering it so that you get that, you know, itch scratched a little bit, but nobody feels like they've, uh, you know, overstepped their own limitations and boundaries. You know what I mean? I'm sure you probably come up with this stuff as well in your in your work with couples and and people looking to be a little more sexually uh, adventurous, right? Yes, absolutely. And it really does come back to the healing work first and foremost. You know, there really is a lot of conditioning from Western culture, from you know Judeo Christian. Yeah mindset around what sex is is for and how it's supposed to look and and how it's supposed to not look and the guilt and the shame that people have around it and then also you know men have different have conditioning in that way they also have conditioning and as far as like well i'm just supposed to fuck as many women as possible and it's not a heart connected thing so there's a lot to work through from societal aspects to really get people to a place where they can do this but it's amazing that you know you're out there helping people in those aspects as well um, and I am doing this you know, there, there are definitely people that are working to a more sex positive world for us to live in so we can have fun in sex sex is like this amazing thing it's one of the ultimate pleasure experiences of humanity and yet it's something that people are really suffering around and people are just have so much pain and there's a lot of seriousness like how do we move through that? How we do need to to address the the healing aspect of it, but but why? Because there's fun on the other side, because there's pleasure on the other side, because your desires are on the other side of it. And it's worth doing the healing work, the reconditioning work to get to that if you know like what's on the other side of it. That you can play. Like you said, it is play and it should be. Yeah, I so agree with that. I'm so glad you're bringing that up because it is sad that you're right through the conditioning and and fear of not being loved by the parents or being accepted by society. We contract ourselves and we constrict ourselves in these ways, even energetically, regardless of like our perception of sex. And if you're able to be in a safe, uh, loving relationship with someone who wants to explore sexually, it's a great opportunity to take a look at that aspect of yourself. And if there is blocks there, if there is some pain that needs to be released, um, that's such an important step for your own well-being. And I'm sure you'll agree with this, but you know, when you have that healthy Eros energy, that healthy sexuality, it really does ripple out everywhere into your relationships to how you work, to how you show up in the world. And people really don't give their sexuality enough credit for the power that it holds. Um, so that healing and that understanding and that support, you're right, is so very important. It's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about supporting people in their 
sexual fantasy exploration because just like our dreams, our fantasies hold so much symbolism and information and, and stuff about who we are and what we're yearning for. And a lot of these times, you know, in kink, people have these fetishes and a lot of the time there is a way that they didn't get met when they were kids or in as they were growing up and being sexually active. So they've sort of eroticized and fetishized certain aspects of kink and, and sex and that sort of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, unless it causes distress in their relationship or with themselves. But it's such great information to have to be able to dive deep into it. So you have more choice, you have more access to the pleasure that you're speaking of. And again, like I said, you know, once you can have a real good understanding with that, I think there's so many possibilities that open for you from that place, right? So can you actually, that brought something up for me. I was recently asked on a podcast, a question that I could not answer. I didn't know the answer to it. Uh, she asked, because I know how a lot of kinks and fetishes are developed, but specifically the foot fetish. This is a big one. Like, how is it that so many people have a foot fetish? Hmm. So there's a lot of theories, and I want to say these are some general theories, and every one is different in how they acquire a different fetish or, or whatnot. So when you look at fetishes, it's sort of like this uh, objectification of something, right? It's usually a body part. It could be a texture like leather. Um, it could be a specific sort of activity. But if we're talking about feet, a lot of the times the feet have been sexualized because they're associated with something that feels good. It could be love, care, nurturance. So um, possibly uh, someone who has a foot fetish, maybe their mothers didn't give them a lot of attention that they needed and they set them down on the ground as they were little babies and they ran around doing their housework and taking care of the other responsibilities and maybe it wasn't you know an intentional thing but the mothers were doing their thing running around but the child was at this eye level with the feet that could be an example that the feet were associated with love and nurturance and maybe they weren't getting enough of that but somehow as they developed into teenagers and into adults that symbolism of love and nurturance of feet became eroticized and they've noticed that, oh, I'm really attracted to feet now. That could be one way, right? That that fetish could happen. And there's a lot of other ways. Maybe it's not necessarily the mother. Maybe it was just a time when, uh, you know, because it usually comes from childhood, a lot of these fetishes and desires. So maybe the child uh, witnessed a lot of pleasure and fun around a lot of women and they were at, like at a beach or maybe they were in the house and they were all barefoot and something so small and slight like that. I know in some countries, um, when I traveled as the dominatrix and I visited Middle Eastern countries, for example, foot fetishes were the number one things uh, that the gentleman uh, or the clientele that I would see would be interested in. Think about that. Everything on the woman is covered for the most part, except the feet. Uh, the feet tend to be more exposed than any other part of the woman's body in a lot of these Middle Eastern countries. So it's fair to say maybe that's why it became sexualized and eroticized because that was an aspect that they could see from their mothers or sisters or the female people around them as they were growing up as young men or little boys. Um, and all of that would make sense. But again, I want to say, you know, not everyone is exactly the same, but I just wanted to give you some examples of some theories of why someone might have a foot fetish and where that could come from. Did okay. that yeah, that all makes sense. And I just, um, I mean, it seems to be, would you agree that it's the predominant fetish? 
It's super common. Yeah. Uh, foot fetishes are hugely, hugely common, but you have to also keep in mind, Sarah, for other fetishes that are more, more socially acceptable, some guys really do love the ass. Some guys really love tits. And those are more socially acceptable fetishes that are like, oh yeah, who doesn't like tits? But that could actually be a true fetish for people, right? Okay. And you think about, and it's so funny because I make a joke with uh, some of my women as students and I say, ladies, you know, I'm sure you might have a, you might think you have a shoe fetish because you have all these shoes, but keep in mind a true definition of a fetish is that you kind of need that present in order to get aroused. You need to think about it or you need to see it in order to get aroused and sometimes even to reach climax. So it's super important if your fetishes are becoming a crutch um, for you to have any sort of pleasure, that's something to look at and to be a little wary of. Also, if your fetishes are creating a barrier to intimacy um, because you're just objectifying your, your partner and you're not seeing them as the whole, that's something to look out for. Also, does your fetishes, do you feel badly after you engage in them? If you feel guilty or shameful, that's something to look at too. So there's all these things like to take a look at. I'm not saying fetishes by themselves are a disorder because they're not. But if they're causing distress in some way or are creating blocks in your life, it's just something to examine. And I do that a lot in my work, in my um, conscious kink work with people that want to have a better understanding of their desires and fetishes. So a lot of women are wanting men to step more into their dominance and really take charge, ravish them in the bedroom. And it's something that many men are struggling with because there's mm -hmm. the whole idea of rape culture and men not wanting to be associated with being a predator and in any way um, harming women, uh, especially his partner, somebody that he loves. And yet the by not stepping into the dominant role and really um, embodying that, a lot of women are not being satisfied. Are you hearing that from women that you work with as well? Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I, I feel compassion for both sides, of course. You know, the, 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 it's a common fantasy to the ravishment, the consensual, non-consensual sort of play is super, super common because this idea of being desired and wanted and, you know, taking control of is very common for a lot of women. And I feel so much compassion for the men because they want to be good guys and they want to be respectful to their partners and all that sort of stuff. You know, and, and being able to, to, again, like I said, you know, how do we find the baby stuff in? Because that's not beginner stuff. I, you know, I'll say, I don't think, you know, the ravishment sort of stuff is necessarily beginner, but maybe can we talk about it in a, in a, in a, in a fantasy dirty talk role play? Can we like maybe just talk about it? instead of acting it out. Like, how does that make you feel? Pay attention to your body. What's happening in your body? Is your like body starting to contract or is it starting to like, ooh, I'm expanding. And pay attention to those cues because if your body is feeling fear and contraction, yeah, maybe you'll, you'll need a little support and being able to uh, take a look at that and, and, and feel good about it because there's a story that's happening in your mind around it. Um, and I think that's super important for men to think about. Uh, it's, I think it's just so important for men to be in touch with their bodies and their hearts in general. I don't think they get a lot of opportunity to have that. So hopefully they have a partner that's willing to move slowly with them um, and, and not necessarily 
expect their partner to be like, oh, she likes this. I'm going to go at a 10 immediately. Like, how do we kind of ease into it? How do we play around with it? So we both start to feel more and more comfortable instead of you feeling like you have to be at a 10 right off the bat. Um, I think maybe, you know, starting off with a lot of verbiage and talking and mental stuff uh, is a great way to start. And it's also a good way to gauge what's happening in your body as you do it. Are you getting aroused or are you getting shut down? You know what I mean? And like investigating and sharing that with your partner because your partner's going to feel more compassion if you're starting to have a real rea a historical reaction to what's being said in the present. Um, and hopefully you have a loving partner that's willing to work with you on that and support you as you uh, explore that more. So do you find that a lot of men are wanting to be dominated? Not at all. I think there's a, a really even sort of what I've experienced through my educational work and, um, and as a dominatrix, of course, a lot of men have seen me in there, the submissive role, because I'm a dom, but I know a lot of men are interested in, in trying a number of different things. They don't necessarily um, say I'm pure sub, I'm pure dom all the time. And I know a lot of dominant men that are like, I don't necessarily want to be crawling at my lady's feet and begging like to kiss her boot, but I don't mind when she kind of takes charge. I don't mind when she's like, honey, I'm going to tie you up and do whatever I want to you. You know, the dominant men are kind of like, yeah, I can try. I can do that, you know, and I think that makes it a lot more fun. So I, I do want to say that um, the sexually adventurous side of people is super common, um, needs permission to come out because it doesn't get a lot of permission. And no, I, you know, I have found that men have been both submissive dominant switches um, and like to try a lot of different things. And most men want to please their, their partners. I'm talking about heterosexual relationships, but a lot of heterosexual men want to please their women on some capacity because it's how they value themselves. Like, is my girl coming five times a day? Is my girl like, oh my God, she, he's blew my mind. Whether that means she was more in the in charge role or whether I was, he ultimately kind of wants to please her, um, which I think is like, you know, so beautiful. But that's what I found more with the men that I've met is that they actually want their partners to, to feel pleasured and, um, and, and feel like, they're the, the source of ultimate pleasure ever, you know? I think that's what a lot of men are gravitating towards and open to whatever that looks like. Absolutely. I mean, there's definitely the stereotype guys out there that are just, you know, wanting to get off and use a woman's body. They definitely still exist. Um, but the men that that come to to professionals like us are the ones that really do desire to be the best lover that she has ever had. And mm -hmm. those are the men that excite me. Those are the ones that I'm just like, yes, you are the future. Like there, there is hope for humanity. Yes. <laughs> yes. So sexy. So yes. sexy. I love that too. I love that too. Yeah. Yeah. I find that the, the one of the biggest keys though to, to helping the, those men to become the best lover she's ever had really is stepping into that dominant power, owning it, like really being confident in the bedroom. And that doesn't have to be displayed as um, what you would typically consider BDSM, but just having that presence that she can surrender to goes a long way. And that's why I love combining BDSM with Tantra. I think the two combined really are very compatible. Mm, I love that. And I, I'm sure that, you know, you've looked at, you know, the masculine and the feminine are the active and the receptive energies. And yeah, I mean, like it, to have that, penetration, whether it's energetically, physically, 
emotionally, mentally. I mean, it's, it's, it's super exciting. And, and I, I think that you're giving men permission to access that part of themselves that they were taught uh, that it's not okay. You know, you got to be a good boy. You, you got to protect women. They're fragile. They're, you know, they're meek. You have to take care of them. Um, so you're giving them permission to allow all, all facets of themselves come out and their natural, you know, primal instincts can emerge and, and have that uh, healthy aggression um, and, and power and bring that into, to, into the playroom. I mean, God, that's, that's magic right there, you know? It really is. And to it really limits women when women are put into this box of, oh, you're fragile. You have to be taken care of. Um, I can't hurt you. And I'm not saying we definitely are not intending to hurt women. That's not what I'm saying. But we really limit women and their capacity, whereas women are fucking powerful. Like women are strong. Women are tough and don't put them in a box and <laughs> say that they're fragile. <laughs> women can take a lot and women want a lot. Like women have, and I'm, I can't speak for all women, but I think most women that have done personal development work that have done work with their sexuality, they really are open to receiving so much from a conscious man. And that's what this work is, is bringing our sexuality to consciousness and combining it with like understanding our primal nature, not disowning it, not trying to shove it away, but like really owning that primal aspect of us and, and merging it with our consciousness. Yes, yes. Amen, girl. And I have to say, you know, as with a lot of kinks and desires, you know, if if on some level, the fantasies or the things were created to meet a need of some kind, I think about today's culture where women have so much responsibility. And, and I think that's amazing. But I think a lot of women are so much in their masculine uh, half the time that no fucking wonder they want to take a break and, and fall into the feminine receptive energy uh, when they're behind closed doors with their man. You know what I mean? Because uh, that allows them to have all of themselves. So yeah, I see why women would crave that or some women would crave that. And, and that might be difficult for a man at first, but if he could look at it in that way of being able to uh, accommodate and, you know, maybe she can return the favor depending on the their preferences, but, you know, at least being able to access that and have permission to be in that, I think is such powerful work. Um, and yeah, it can take your relationship to a whole level, another level for and sure. It's so much fun. Again, <laughs> so coming back to the fun, yes, <laughs> letting yes. sexuality be something we enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Um, hell yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. So can you talk a bit about the history of, of this, um, of kink, of BDSM? I, where does this, this come from? Is this a new phenomenon? Is this something that's been around as, as old as humanity? Uh, just those, those terms. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I think, um, you know, what my understanding is around origins around BDSM and kink is that it's been around for ages. I mean, there's a lot of liter literature and not photos, but like artwork that sort of supports that, you know, people, you know, looked outside of the norm. They weren't just looking to have sex for procreation only, you know, they, they wanted to kind of push past that and, and, and access more to it. And I think, again, 
when we look at fantasies and, and, and desires and that sort of thing, looking at where they originate from. And I think there's always going to be room for people to create these fantasies and desires to sort of fulfill different parts of their lives that maybe have some lack. And that's always going to be the case with humanity. And I think, you know, being able to be sexually adventurous, yeah, the fun, the pleasure of that is super cool. Um, But I think we tend to want to like test our boundaries and test how far can we take things? Like, you know, what is possible? For me, you know, when I started diving into kink, it opened up a whole new world. And then after a while, I was like, what else? And then I started looking more into Tantra and, and seeing that, you know, sex could be this like transcendent, amazing sort of thing. And I was like, cool, what else? Let's combine the two of them. Cool. What else? I mean, I think a lot of people have that hunger and that longing for, you know, just to keep pushing and discovering and learning because once we become stagnant, we get old and die. Like, you know, we want to keep discovering and learning and, and that keeps us young and, uh, and vital and full of life. And that vitality I think is addictive. Who doesn't want to feel alive and feel that pleasure and fun, you know? that's what life is all about. It's worth it. Right. So, I mean, right now we are in an era where we're (laughs) using sex for more than just procreation. You know, this really started up with the sexual revolution and, you know, we had gone through a period of pretty being pretty dead sexually, but there are other cultures from, you know, the past that have really celebrated sex. And uh, you look at the Grecians and cultures like that, where it was like, yeah, sex is for pleasure purposes. Uh, do you feel like that's something that we're, we're in? Are we in that? Are we moving towards that? Man, you know, it's tough because uh, during these COVID times, like we, we've had this period of stillness and um, a little bit of isolation and, and for some. And um, I think it's being craved for even more uh, because of the, the restrictions and the limitations we're under at the moment. So I think people are freaking starving for uh, the what else and, and, you know, being able to have that a possibility and and to reach new heights and I think we're becoming more and more comfortable with having the conversations because God it's like so much better to talk about it than not talk about it at all which we've been doing for far too long so at least being able to talk about it like what do you like this is what I like this is where I'm at right now but maybe in the future that's going to change um, you know I, I saw something the other day uh, that really turned me on and I want to share it with my husband and uh, I want to share it with my girlfriend and having those conversations I feel like are becoming more and more acceptable and I hope it continues to, to, to do so like women like you doing this sort of work to bring that consciousness um, and fun and pleasure to the public I think we need more of that and and um, people I think are hungry to learn so yeah I think men want to have a better understanding of themselves and their relationships than ever before and I think women are, are also open to embracing their their sexual power and their sexual energy as well so yeah let's just hope that it continues forward and when we're in a, a past the COVID and we're able to have more connection and, and more socially, uh, you know, encounters, socially acceptable encounters that people can have that uh, more in their lives, right? I think the lack of it is really stirring stuff up for people. I'm getting a lot of feedback from people that want it more than ever, really. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember my first experience with BDSM. I went yeah. to New York and did a class there and, 
And I went um, because I was curious and it wasn't something like I had all the misconceptions from the media and I figured they were misconceptions, but I wanted to find out more for myself. I didn't want to just trust what I had been fed. I wanted to actually experience it and, and I loved it. It was so great. And there's really a, a lot of people have the idea that people that do experiment with canker BDSM, like there's something wrong with them. They're damaged. They're, you know, they're weird people and they're not like, they were just normal people, couples and they're married people, single people, professionals, like just your normal people that you'd pass walking down the street. And uh, everyone was just in there just exploring. And I actually was surprised one of the surprising aspects of it for me was the the healing component of it um and also the spiritual component of it i didn't realize that those were were part of bdsm and uh it's a very holistic practice mm, you're so right people think it's the physical acts right it's uh, tying someone up it's spanking someone but of course there's this huge mental psychological aspect that's really important in play and yeah that can take people to some really deep places emotionally and spiritually i mean people are experiencing altered consciousness while they're playing if they're in an environment that feels really safe with a partner that uh they they feel like they can let go with and just really like be present with um oh my gosh it can take you to these incredible places and i love that people are starting to open themselves up to that potential i mean like I said earlier, you know, sex is great and, and, and I, and I love it, but it's more than just rubbing genitals against genitals. You know, if you can be able to explore mind, body, soul, and spirit, uh, with another person, oh my gosh, like that's like the most delicious thing in the world. And while I was working as a dominatrix, I started to see that this work is sacred. I was seeing people in a way that nobody saw them. I, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the clients I would see, a lot of the time their partner doesn't know because they're scared to tell their partner, their families don't know. And a lot of the time their own therapists don't know about this aspect of themselves. And that's how badly shame is gripped to our fantasies and our fetishes. And that's such a shame, um, but people, if you're able to share that side of yourself, nothing feels better to be seen in that way and to be celebrated and cherished and, and to have that with another person. It's super sacred. And again, like you said, with the pleasure and the fun, it can be healing. It can be healing to be able to expose that side of yourself and have fun in it and, and to feel like um, you're not going to get rejected or judged for it. I made a video not too long ago about what's real romance. And for me, real romance is like being able to be who I really am and share with my partners my deepest darkest fantasies and not be judged for it and they also are like cool how do we make this happen <laughs> I mean as a woman um you know coming into my sexuality to have a, a partner that's like yeah I want to meet you there I want to make that happen like how do we do that it's like fuck that's the most romantic thing I've ever heard in my life you know like fuck flowers <laughs> like give me a man that's give me a man that's like I want to accommodate your deepest, darkest, sexiest fantasies that you, nobody even knows about. Like, ooh, like my nipples are getting hard just thinking about it. Mm. Oh my God, feeling best. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes, please. Yes, please. Can I have another? Yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to have that with somebody. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. 
Love it. Yeah. I, my takeaway from BDSM has been that I really love the, the pain pleasure dynamic. Like for me, the pain intensifies the pleasure. It's, I mean, what better way to bring you into the present moment than an experience of pain. And when you're with a professional that knows what they're doing and can bring you right to that perfect level and not take you too far beyond where it's uncomfortable um, and the pleasure is gone, uh, but keep you right at that, that, that happy space of like perfect um, pain pleasure combination. And then also the objectification component of it is another aspect that I really love and typically request. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Tell me a little more about that if you feel comfortable. Yeah. So I remember we actually did a, a thing, a exercise that was in objectification that was designed in a way of like, oh, you're a slut, you're a whore, something like that, you know, which yeah. in, in real life would, I guess, make you feel bad about yourself. Mm-hmm. But those, uh, and I don't remember exactly what it was that was said to me uh, in that particular exercise, but those things, it was like, oh, there's actually a turn on there. Like that excites me. Like saying these things don't make me feel bad about myself. This is actually fun. I'm enjoying this. Uh, and so I learned that and then began requesting that in my personal sessions with the Dom I was working with as well and realized uh-huh. that it's definitely an area where I get off on that type of thing. Yes, I love that. I love that you're touching a little bit on the objectification and maybe the little touch of the humiliation um, that sort of talk and so much of kink that makes it arousing is that taboo, right? The taboo of like, I'm saying things that I'd probably get smacked for if I said it in public. If I called someone a horse, you might smack me in the face. You know, you don't talk like that to people. Um, however, when it's done in a consensual way and, um, you know, there's permission for that, still that the charge that the taboo, the naughty aspects of it that it brings, it's, you know, it's exhilarating to embrace roles that normally maybe depict weakness or, you know, are looked down upon, but in, in a consensual con- uh, construct, you're able to run amok with it and be as naughty and crazy and, uh, you know, taboo as you want to be. That's liberating, you know, it's liberating. And uh, slut, whore, these are just words, you know, and what gives them the power is the charge or the story we have behind it. So we can use those words for any purpose that we want. It can hurt us or it can uh, it can turn us on. You know what I mean? It could be the same word. It's all about the context that it's being set in. Um, and I think that's really cool that you're able to open yourself up to that and, and, and explore it. And I think a lot of people enjoy, uh, you know, they're like, is there something wrong with me that I want to be called a dirty slut? No, honey, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, you can still respect yourself and want to be treated like a dirty little slut. You can right. still, like, have self-respect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I can still be a good girl and still want to do terrible, naughty, despicable things to you in private, but I can still be like a good girl. You know, you could be whoever you want to be. Exactly. Um, Makes it so much fun. Definitely. All right. So I have this card game that I usually play with guests and it's called Let's Talk About Sex. Uh, My friend Erin Hickok developed these. And uh, so if it's all right with you, we will pick a card and we will um, just answer the question. That's there. I love games. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. Cool. So um, if it's all right with you, I'm going to pick. Cool. 
All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. In a sexual relationship, I'm committed to. In a sexual relationship, I'm committed to. I mean, I want to say bringing my whole self in, like bringing my whole self in, love it or leave it, honey. But yeah, life is way too short to be in a relationship that you're only in relationship because you're hiding parts of yourself. You know, that's not a fucking relationship. That's not, you're better than that. You deserve more than that. And if you bring all of yourself in and that person isn't able to uh, meet you, then next right like you're you're able to open yourself up to someone that is going to be able to meet you and understand you so for me it's like yeah just bringing my whole self in that transparency that honesty and that realness what about you what's your answer uh i would agree it's just like for me i've been i've been single well since um everything went down with covid i ended up leaving austin to come to phoenix uh, for a while and so i've been out here i was dating somebody when i was in austin and she's absolutely amazing such a beautiful wonderful person but like most of the time i am single and i really love it like i have i have fun and it takes a lot to get me to to move to that the the another level of of commitment and being with somebody because um like i i have great sex and i have a great life i have a great career like i feel really satisfied and satiated and um happy as things are and so like when i'm in relationship i'm committed to like really going to other levels with another person, like really creating something that is amazing, that is just transcendent, like the whole like world domination, like that type of experience in relationship. And it's really rare to to find that and like have just incredible chemistry and and chemistry is what is so important if there's no chemistry like oh, i can't i can't do this and then and then beyond that like the vision of two people coming together and the collaboration that's possible and the best relationships that i've had have been ones that are on that level where there's amazing chemistry and then you go just so far you're just like two people's visions coming together to to create amazing awesomeness in the world. And that's what excites me in relationship. That's gorgeous. I love that. I think that's a beautiful uh, way. And I love that you have such this healthy uh, sexual appetite, but also just have a standard of, you know, not settling, right? And and really being your true authentic self. And, and I'm sure you must attract a lot of greatness because of that. So fucking kudos to you. That's awesome. It's been amazing having you, getting to know you. I'm so excited for more collaborations, and I have uh, no doubt that the listeners are as well. Where can they find you? Yeah, so um, I'm going to have a new website soon enough, but for now, you can reach me at dommydolls.com. It's www.domidolls.com, and you can email me at kimmyinch at dommydolls.com. My name's K-I-M-I-I-N-C-H. And that's my real last name. Everyone's like, is Inch really your last name? I'm like, yes, that's my last name. I didn't change it to Inch. Um, So yeah, that's how you can reach out to me. I'm happy to uh, answer any questions. And if you're interested in doing a session or having any training or classes with me, let me know. I'd be happy to discuss. 
Wonderful. And we will have all of those links in the show notes as well. And that is Sex and Sarah Rose. Hey, it's Sarah again. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out the links in the show notes for everything we discussed in this episode. And you can also find out about how you can work with me. Until next time, lovers. Down tonight.